boys and dirt. They just go together, don't they? I am amazed at how quickly I can send the boys outside and they can come in, I think, 10 seconds later, covered head to toe with dirt. It, it, just, it happens that quickly. They are out there and they are having a great time. And it's always interesting. Alicia's a little different, although she loves dirt too. But it's interesting. The boys will come in and will say, you need to wash up. Maybe it's dinner time and... and Susie has this thing about not being covered head to toe with dirt at the dinner table, rightfully so, and we'll say, wash up, and they go into the bathroom and wash up, and and sometimes you just can't help but laugh, because they come out, and their hands are dripping, right? Mostly clean, maybe a little mud here and there, and, and their hands are clean, and the rest of their bodies are still just covered with dirt. Sometimes they'll get the arms, but maybe their face just is like... Ah! And, and and dirt is everywhere. Are they clean? No. They think they're clean. The part that they saw was clean, but they're not really clean. This morning as we, we enter into Mark chapter 7 and continue in the teachings of, of Jesus, Jesus deals with the Pharisees on the issue of what does it mean to be clean? How do you become clean? As the Pharisees had one idea and Jesus had a completely different idea and those ideas clash in Mark chapter 7. And as we study it, I pray that God will open our hearts to say, how do I become clean? How do I, number one, if you don't know Christ, how do I become clean from my my sins and my past and, and, and become righteous in God's eyes? But then as any of us deal with sin in the process of sanctification, in the process of Christian living, oh, that we could live sin-free, but we can't. And so we still deal with it. And so still, how do we deal with sin? How do we, how do we gain forgiveness? How do we, in a healthy way, let God handle that? And that's the, the context that we want to come to Mark chapter 7 today. Turn with me there. Mark chapter 7. We'll be looking at the first 23 verses. And we hit pretty much a transition point in the book of Mark. One of the transition points, as Jesus has been ministering in Galilee and and to the disciples and a little bit of the Pharisees, we saw back in chapter 3 a little bit of a confrontation. And the passage today really begins to set up the the next two weeks that Pastor Andrew is going to be talking about of of a change in ministry and a change in ministry focus. And to do that, Jesus needed to, to see the disciples change their hearts and the people change their hearts. And that's what today's about, is a changing of the heart. Mark chapter 7, let's start reading at verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him, so here they are again, the scribes and Pharisees, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. Remember they came from Jerusalem back in chapter 3 as well? And that probably means that they're a delegation sent by by the religious establishment. Again, the ministry of Jesus has been expanding. People are being healed. People are coming to repentance. They're coming to God. And, And the Pharisees hear about this. Because the more people that move to follow Jesus, the less people that are following the Pharisees. So there's a little bit of self-interest here. Some of them probably had, had 
what they thought were good motives of saying, well, this is, this is true religion. We need to protect it from this heretic. And so they send a party out again. You know, go check him out again. Last time it didn't work so well. We didn't stop him. And, and he really put us in our place. But go check him out again. Watch what he's doing. See if there's anything that we can really bring up and nail him on. So in verse 2, they, they get there. They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled. That is, unwashed. Now Mark here in verses 3 and 4 does a wonderful thing for us. He, he adds in what that means. He's writing to Gentiles. Little, little um, parenthetical insertions like this help us know who he's writing to. You wouldn't have to explain this to a Jew, but to Gentiles you'd have to explain this. Okay, what's the big deal? Sometimes I've eaten without washing my hands. Happens, especially if it's just sitting on the counter. Verse 3, he explains it. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat until unless they wash. And that, that's actually a, a stricter term for wash. They washed more heavily or heavilier. I don't know. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. You get a little bit of a tone from Mark as he's writing these things. Verse 5, And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? They've seen it. It's wrong in their eyes. And now they confront Jesus. They accuse Him. The accusation is, your disciples are not walking with God the way we think they should. Your disciples are not walking with God the way that we think they should. Because this was an issue of defilement. This was an issue of ritual uncleanness. And if you became ritually defiled, you were not able to worship, you were not able to come into the presence of God, and so your relationship with God was broken. And so understand, they're saying your disciples aren't pure, they're not in relationship with God, which is incredibly ironic since they are walking every moment of every day with God. But the Pharisees didn't understand who Jesus was. And so that's the accusation. The, the larger section is this is an outside-in view of washing spiritual filth away. And an outside-in view that the Pharisees, and we'll see in these first 13 verses, the outside-in view relies on self, self and fails every time. It relies on self, it fails, and it tends to look at others. And so as we look through the verses there, we see the Pharisees come, and, and really the issue is that, that there's this whole realm of oral tradition or the tradition of the elders and and what has happened here is the elders over the years the, the the religious leaders in judaism have taken the law of the old testament and they've added a number of things to it and and there's several reasons why they do that and and it, it's probably a lot more complicated than then sometimes we just want to say, well, they just wanted power, they just wanted authority. There probably was a lot more reasons why these things were added. One of the reasons that we know that they tended to add these specific laws, like washing your hands before you eat, was to make the law in the Old Testament applicable to everyday life. 
They, they wanted people to be able to follow the law. And so they, they tried to add specific things for specific items in life to say, okay, you, you want to, to honor being pure, then do this. Wash your hands before. It's important to understand for this passage that nowhere in the Old Testament does it command people to wash their hands before they eat. And so this is an added command. This is a command that they've made up. And so they, they did this to help people apply it to everyday life. One of the other reasons they added these, these instructions was to keep pagan culture from getting into life. Let's keep pagan culture as far away as we can. Part of this is the discussion that, that you hear sometimes of they added these laws. Some people call it a fence around the, the law or, or a wall around the law. Because if we don't pass this, then there's no way we'll break the law. And so they wanted to, to hold to the law. A letter written about 150 years before Jesus said, The law surrounds us with unbroken palisades and iron walls to prevent our mixing with any of the other peoples in any matter, being thus kept pure in body and soul. It goes on from there. And the tradition of the elders is they added to that law and they added instructions trying to make that wall higher, trying to make it thicker, and saying we will protect ourselves from breaking the law. Now those two goals, understand, those two goals are actually pretty good goals, aren't they? To apply God's word, to make sure we stay as far away from sin as we can. Those are great goals, but they've gotten out of hand over the years, and it's grown. And another reason they would add these things, and this one isn't quite so great of an idea, is they assumed God was a God of order, which is true, and so they needed to order every single part of life. And so as minute as they can make this oral tradition, the more minute it could be, the better. And that's where they started to cut off track. Um, about 200 years, 150 years later after Christ, the Mishnah talks about how to wash hands. And it says, pour a little water over your hands, elevate them slightly so the water would run down the wrist. Then rub their hands together. Now lower the hands and rinse them, allowing the water to run off the fingertips. Do you see what they're doing? Now it's, okay, this is how you wash your hands. This is the exact way to do it. And there were reasons for all of that, but they... They begin to prescribe more and more. And that's all background for understanding what's happening here. See, the reason is the more that they could prescribe, the more that they could say, this is what you were supposed to do, the easier it was to feel like you were following the law. You catch that? The more I can say, this is what I have to do to be spiritual, the easier it becomes to feel spiritual based on my own actions and my own merit and what I do. And that's where the Pharisees had gone. See, this is a a tradition that grew. In the Old Testament, we see in Exodus and Leviticus that the priests were told to wash their hands before the sacrificial offerings. And then that sort of grew, and they said, well, we're all priests, so we should all wash our hands before offerings. And, and that, well, if it's good to wash your hands before offerings, then probably we should wash our hands more often. And, and by second century before Christ, then many Jews were washing their hands daily um, before morning prayer. 
And then by the time of Christ, now it become a tradition that you wash hands before every meal. And you were pure if you did that. It wasn't about hygiene. For our boys, it is. For them, this wasn't about hygiene. This was about how to be pure and free from sin. And that's how we understand the seriousness of this text. Some of the things in those verses, looking at verse 3, Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, so then they expanded it to if you were out shopping, you might have brushed a Gentile. You might have become unclean. So you came home and you had to bathe. And, and then, it go, then they had all these other things about washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. But read verse 5 again. And the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Now understand. Understand what they're doing. This is a direct accusation and a direct attack on Jesus. If, if I was to come visit on Tuesday night to reality check. Sorry, Happy, I'm going to use you for an example for a minute here. And, and, and I walk in and, and Happy's praying. And I look around and students are laughing and they're talking with each other and throwing things while Happy's praying. Which doesn't happen for any of those that, that come. And I walk up to Happy and I say, your students, your students are not respecting God in prayer. Now that's a valid thing. This is not equating that with hand washing. What am I saying to him? It's his fault. Your students who you trained are messing up. And the same was true there. If you went to, to a rabbi and you said your students who are walking behind you, who are imitating you, your students are abandoning the oral tradition, this law that we view as equal to Scripture. It's your fault, Jesus. You have not taught them well. And so they're not only belittling the disciples, they're belittling Jesus and trying to destroy His reputation. They are accusing the Lord of the universe of not being holy or pure. They did not come in singing holy, holy, holy like we sang this morning. All because they had a view of what it meant to be spiritual. This morning I have a little bowl up here. There's a pitcher in the bowl. And perhaps there's just a little bit of mud. And the Pharisees, yeah. The Pharisees said you need to be washing the pitcher. It's filthy. The filth of sin and uncleanness is all over it. And so they came to Jesus and said, your disciples, they need to be washing their hands before they eat. If they don't, they're unclean. And so just picture this. Got to make the pot clean. Which is a valid goal. 
And they get the outside all nice and clean. But is the pot clean? Assuming that I did a better job of washing it on the outside. <laughs> and that the mud would actually come off. Now I understand my boys a little bit more. Is the pot clean? No. But it looks clean. Looks pretty good. But what would happen if I took some of the clean water out of the pitcher and poured it in? It's okay, who wants a drink? <laughs> clean pot. Surely one of the high schoolers likes chocolate milk. <laughs> Why isn't it clean? Because the inside is still filthy. And we're going to see in the next few verses that Jesus said, nah, I'm more concerned about what's in there. And it's still caked with mud. And so they come and they make an accusation And right from the start, I, I've got to tell you as I've worked through the text, and right from the start, it's just so convicting. Because how many times are we those Pharisees? How many times do we misunderstand what it takes to be right with God? How many times do we want to come together and put on a great facade and say, you know what, I'm, I'm spiritual. I'm going to tell people how many days I did the, the prayer for the Muslims this week. And I'm going to tell people how many times I read my Bible this week. And, and you know what? I'm here. And, 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 and we put on faces because we want to look spiritual. And I'm convicted because even when it's not about how I look to others, sometimes it's, it's what can I do to feel spiritual? Maybe I need to be extra sorry for my sins. Maybe I need to, to do some penance somehow and help somebody and, and, But then for the Pharisees, it wasn't just about what they had to do. But it was what others had to do. And I'm convicted with the question, why do I get upset at others? Why do I get frustrated with other believers? Why do I get critical of other people? Is it because they are violating God's clear commands? Or is it because they are violating what I think they should do? And it is so easy to confuse the two. And we need to ask the question, is this God's command or is this my command? Have I added to God's Word? In verse 6-13, through 13, Jesus answers the Pharisees. And He is direct. And He is public with His rebuke. I called it the reversal. Jesus turns it back on the Pharisees by revealing their filthy hearts in verse 6. And He said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. And that phrase there means Isaiah did a great job of describing you. Well did he prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, 
This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God. In verse 8 here, Jesus stops quoting and he's interpreting here. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. How would you like it to have Jesus say that to you? Be shaking in my boots. Because the first part of his correction is a stinging rebuke of the religious leaders. Understand, as you work through the Gospels, Jesus dealt with different people differently. With the Pharisees, with those that were in spiritual leadership that were hypocrites, it was almost always a public stinging rebuke. Because their sin was public and they were misleading people. They were, they were drawing people away. Have you noticed the disciples when he corrects them? When, is, when does that usually happen? In private. When the, because they are trying to follow God. They're blowing it. We're going to see Jesus call them dull a little bit later. Are you so dull of understanding? But he does it privately. Because it's a different situation. And, and the shepherd knows what the sheep needs. And he knows when they need it. And with the crowds that don't know him, it's almost always a different message. One of care and compassion. But here it's the Pharisees, the leaders that are hypocritical, who have just publicly called him out. And we'll get to why it's so important. But And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. The word for hypocrite meant to be a play actor. Any of you in drama? I know a lot of the, the youth are either in Aletheia or BYT or something. To, the word for hypocrite means to play a part. To put on another face. And so he calls them hypocrites. People that, that aren't real, that say that they are close to God, and they're not. Keep your finger in Mark 7. Turn back to Isaiah twenty nine thirteen. Isaiah twenty nine thirteen. How well did Jesus know Scripture? Yes, He was God, and that has an advantage. But He also learned as a boy and studied. Isaiah 29.13 And Isaiah here is speaking to the leaders of Israel at the time. And he's condemning them with the, the Word of the Lord. And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth, and honor me with their lips while their hearts are from far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. And, and Jesus rephrases that, but it means the same thing. That The fear of me is a commandment taught by men means they don't really respect me. They don't really have fear for me. They're just doing it out of rote com- obedience. Just obeying some command. And he goes on to talk about um, he will do wonderful things with his people because he will judge he will judge that type of leadership. And so Isaiah is writing to the religious leaders of his day, and Jesus says it still applies. It still applies. And notice a few things about the prophecy, turning back to Mark chapter 7. The first thing he says in, at the end of verse 6, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They said the right things, but their hearts weren't sold out for Jesus. They didn't love Jesus. They could say the right things. They could look right. On the outside, it could look all nice and clean. And since they were the one making the rules, they could say this was clean and declare it clean. But on the inside, the mud and filth had never changed. 
Have you ever thought about why we're hypocrites sometimes? Why we're hypocritical? There's two things to think about, and we'll just hit these quickly. I think sometimes we're hypocritical because we fear man more than we fear God. We're worried more about what people think about us and the external than we are about what God thinks about us. The God who holds our heart in His hand, who knows all things, who judges. And sometimes I think the second reason that we fall into hypocrisy is laziness. Laziness. If I can do something external to feel spiritual, that is a whole lot easier than actually being right with God. Than actually being humble and on my knees and repentant and doing the work of relationship. So the first part of hypocrisy is that they said the right things, but they didn't have sold out hearts. He goes on in verse 7, In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. See, true worship doesn't let anything come into play but God's commands. As soon as we elevate man's commands and our idea of what it should be above God's, we are worshiping man instead of God. It's a worship issue. And so the the Pharisees here were worshiping the elders. They were worshiping their own idea of what should happen more than they were worshiping God. And God said that reflects a filthy heart. A filthy heart. Be like if you overheard your your son or your daughter and they're talking to someone and a friend of theirs, you're going out of town, they're going to be house-sitting and they say, and you overhear this conversation, you know, mom and dad said I should do it this way. But one of my friends said this other way would be better, so I'm going to go with that. Number one, you'd never leave and let them watch your house. But what are they saying about who they respect? Think about that with the Pharisees. Think about that when we become critical, when we add things to Scripture. It's an issue of worship. Finally, if you look at verse 8, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. They used man's ideas and man's traditions to avoid true obedience to God's commands. That's where the whole next few verses are going to go. See, in theory, the oral tradition was to be a fence that would protect the law. But in reality, the oral tradition replaced and destroyed their ability to follow the law. Because they tampered with God's instructions and treated things as God's commands that weren't. Let's read on and see what Jesus is talking about. He gives a quick example. Verse 9, And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. In other words, you're very good at this. You're very good at at doing what you want and justifying it and ignoring the commands of God. Verse 10, For Moses said, and he quotes the fifth commandment here, Honor your father and mother. Then he adds in Exodus 21, a chapter later, verse 16, Whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. And so this was a a commandment of God, honor your father and mother, and if you don't honor it, what's the penalty? 
death penalty. So this was a death penalty. Now, honor for them had the context not only of respect and appreciation and placing in high esteem, but it had the connotation of financial welfare. And so to honor someone, when you read the the word honor in, in God's word, it always has the idea of taking care of them as well. And so the command to honor your father and mother was, as they get older, you're also to, to provide for their needs. Take care of them. Amen? And, and so that's the command. That, 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 that's how they understood it. That's how they applied it. But then verse 11. But you say, and when Jesus uses the word but, you, man, something's changing here. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban that is given to God, then you are no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Now, Corban literally means gift. And what it was in their practice, Corban was a vow that you could make that you would take anything you had, any money, any resources, and you can say, this is dedicated to God. Now, the thing with Corban is it was usually a future vow to say, someday I will use this for God. And the whole time then, before the someday happens, you could use it for yourself and enjoy it, but someday this would be dedicated to God. And so what the Pharisees and others were doing is, mom and dad were in need, they had some things that that they could have used to help them, but they didn't want to let go of them. So they said, you know what, this is Corbin. That, That chariot you needed? That's Corbin. That's going to be used for God someday. So I'm sorry, Mom and Dad, you can't have it. Because the Old Testament also says I'm to honor my vows to God. And so um, that takes priority over honoring you. A little bit later, Mom and Dad don't have anything to eat. Son says, you know what, I'd love to help you financially. I'd love to go get you some food. But um, my money, that's Corbin. I'm going to use that for God someday. I know I'm using it for myself now, but someday that's dedicated to God. And so I can't help you out. Anyone getting little hairs on the back of their neck a little bit? Are they honoring their mother and father? Absolutely not. They are violating God's direct command and they are using an interpretation of God's commands on the vows to justify it. And Jesus is angry. He is angry and He calls them out. Whatever you have gained from me is Corbin that is given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. You, as the, the spiritual leaders, you say that's okay. And it's not. In verse 13, thus making void the word of God, making worthless the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And then the next phrase is, is just killer. And many such things you do. They took loopholes and they changed the commands of God. And they avoided honoring God. See, Jesus is calling them out, saying, your heart is dirty. You're accusing someone else. You're critical of someone else. Let's start with you. Let's start with where you're at. But the outside-in view wasn't what Jesus had in mind. And in verse 14, 
he begins to, to describe something else. And in this case, he's done with the Pharisees. He's rebuked them. He calls everyone together because he needs to correct the teaching that the people saw. And he calls everyone together and he begins to describe an inside-out view of washing away spiritual filth. And an inside-out view, it relies on God, not self. And He accomplishes it. It does not fail. And it always looks into our own heart instead of looking into others' hearts and saying what they need to do. In verse 14, we see the answer. And he called the people to him again and said, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, like, Jesus, we don't get it again. Because it didn't make sense with how they've been raised their entire life. In verse 18, And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? That's where sometimes it's translated, Are you also so dull? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled. And he's using just a real practical illustration here. He says, okay, Isaiah is talking about your heart is far from me. It's about your heart, which wasn't the center of emotion to them. It was the center of, of your person. It was your, It included your mind. It's how you decided what you would do. And, and he says, your heart is far from me in Isaiah. So he comes back, Jesus comes back to heart and says, when you eat food, and, and yes, your hands might be dirty, and maybe it's unclean food by, by ritual standards, but it never gets to your heart. It goes in your stomach and literally is expelled into the, the latrine. And it's gone. Little parenthesis there. Thus he declared all foods clean. It's interesting. This is from the viewpoint of Peter. Mark is. Remember what happened to Peter in Acts chapter 10? Sheet comes down. Jesus says, rise, or God says, rise, eat. But those animals are unclean. Rise, eat. Okay. And, 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 and he eats, and, and Jesus is preparing him to go to the Gentiles, to go to Cornelius, to take the gospel to who the Jews thought were unclean. And Jesus said, that's going to be my son. And you're going to find out in the next two weeks that's exactly what Jesus is doing here because the next two weeks, he goes to the Gentiles. In verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And we could go into each of those, but we're not going to this morning. But read through the list, and right from the start come evil thoughts. That's not an external sin. That's a sin that's inside. That's a sin that's coming from the heart. And Jesus said all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. See, it's the heart. It's what's inside. It's why this water is still filthy, because the heart was filthy, even though it was clean on the outside. And Jesus says... As he goes on with his ministry, what he's preparing them for is I'm the one that cleans the inside. What's more important than what you wash on the outside is whether you give me your heart and let me forgive your sins and clean what's on the inside. Because only then 
Are you truly clean? You just imagine clean water. It's a lot of dirt. But a couple of things, just to, to wrap up. We're running out of time. Jesus here is confronting the external things that they do to try to be clean. And he compares it to the heart. And what's interesting to me is he doesn't say out of the heart might come these things. He says out of the heart comes these things. See, in Jeremiah, one of the things we read in our rooted readings a couple weeks ago, we read that the heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately wicked. In Romans 3, verse 10, we see there is none righteous, not even one. And there is no way that the Pharisees on their own, through a set of laws, could have cleansed their hearts. And why this is so important and why this is so foundational is because the Pharisees were destroying what the law was intended to do. The law was intended to bring people to a point of saying, I can't do this. I need God. I need Jesus. I need a Messiah in the Old Testament as they look forward to Jesus. In the New Testament as we look back, I need Jesus because my heart is desperately wicked. I cannot do this. And the Pharisees built this structure that said, well, actually, you can. You do these 25 things in this order, you are clean. And it kept people from relationship with God. And so for Jesus to come and touch their hearts, and for Jesus to come and bring a people to himself, he had to change that impression, that idea, because it was a lie. And he had to bring them back to the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And only I and only the work of Christ can cleanse that. And it comes from the inside out. And it's no wonder he called the Pharisees on the carpet. It's no wonder he had to address this. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. As we end, stop and think about what ways do we try to feel spiritual? What things do we do to try to feel like we're right with God? And the question that I would ask is, do you need Christ? Do you need Christ or have you outgrown Him in your Christianity? One author I was reading, a a blogger actually blogged about this text this week, and he wrote a prayer to believers on this text He said, forgive us when our love for the truth of the gospel and the doctrines of grace is more obvious than our love for you, as impossible as that may seem. Forgive us when we enjoy exposing legalistic, pragmatic, or moralistic teaching more than we crave spending time with you in fellowship and prayer. Forgive us when we are quick to tell people what obedience is not, but fail to demonstrate what obedience and faith actually is. 
forgive us when we call ourselves recovering Pharisees or recovering legalists, but in reality, we're not really recovering from anything. Forgive us when we talk more about getting the gospel than we've actually gotten, been gotten by the gospel. Forgive us for being arrogant about theology and impatient with those that don't know as much. Forgive us when we withdraw from them because we are not being fed. Forgive us when we don't use our gospel freedom to serve one another in love, but rather use it to put our consciousness to sleep. As we come to communion, my prayer is that Jesus' words bring us back to the need for the cross. And that, yes, our heart is wicked and our heart is black, But Jesus paid for that on the cross. And he said, it's nothing that you can do. No washing of your hands is going to fix this. The washing from my blood is the answer. The washing of my payment for your sins is the answer. And so today, as we take communion, just right now, bow your heads. And say, Lord, what do I need to ask forgiveness for? What in my heart has been external views of righteousness that have not reflected a love and relationship with you? Before we outwardly say we remember the cross, let's inwardly let the cross pound our hearts and touch us. Just take a moment. Lord, may you humble us. May you crush our hearts and crush the filth out of our hearts. And replace it with your love, with your substitutionary sacrifice with an understanding that your son on the cross took my place and every one of my sins on his shoulders and paid the price for them. Lord, that you would make my heart clean. And that is what would affect the outside behavior. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice. We remember this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.